Welcome to the Onassis Air Conversations. My name is Mirto Katsimicha. I'm a curator and cultural worker based in Athens and your host in this series of recorded encounters with the participants of Onassis Air. Founded on the principles of learning and doing with others, Onassis Air is an international research residency program in Athens initiated by the Onassis Foundation in 2019. They say that what happens in one place stays in that place. I cannot find a better way to describe all the things that have been happening inside the Onassis Air House since I first entered as a participant of the Critical Practices program in fall 2019. The truth is, it is not easy to transmit an open-ended process of relationing which is very personal and relevant to a specific place and moment in time. How can I then give you a glimpse into that process? Everything starts with a conversation. Throughout this series, I'll be speaking with the Onassis Air participants to shed light on their artistic practices and needs, as well as to reflect on ways of being and working together. Today, it is my great pleasure to welcome Asle Ozduyuran. Asle is an artist and researcher living and working in Istanbul. Along her artistic research and practice, Asle is running BAS, a non-profit space in Istanbul initiated by Banu Tenetoglu and dedicated to the collection, display, production and distribution of artist books. She is also a facilitator of OMUS, a solidarity network in the field of art and culture established in order to respond to the economic precarities and inequalities which became acutely visible during the pandemic. Asle is a participant of the School of Infinite Rehearsals Movement 5 with a collective research focus on modes of governance through the lens of self-organization. In this conversation, we will talk about self-organization and artistic practices in relation to mutual aid and solidarity initiatives. Asle, welcome to Pali Room. Hello, Mirto. Thank you for the introduction. Asle, you studied sculpture as well as visual and critical studies in Chicago. And after that, you worked closely with other artists as their assistant, while also co-running your own projects and developing your individual practice. And most recently, you also got actively involved with OMUS, a solidarity grassroots mutual aid initiative that was established during the pandemic. And I'm curious to know, where does your individual artistic practice stands in relation to your engagement with your collective work? Yes, um, as much as I know that they're inseparable, um, I don't like to speak of my artistic work as an encapsulating meta-subject that involves the social work I do in the field. Um, because then the field work, which involves the physical and mental labor of many others, becomes a tool to talk about an artistic practice. And the two artists that I've worked for or with so far, which are Michael Rakowitz uh, during my time as an undergraduate in Chicago and Banu Cennetoglu currently and seems like uh, longer, um, are good examples as their artistic practice is inseparable from their role as activists, organizers or simply responsible citizens. Um, in that way, I don't think that any work that I make can be detached from the social context or the ways I structure my relationships with the institutions I work with. 
And um, how did I start engaging with self-organization? Um, we started in Chicago, in the Bridgeport neighborhood of Chicago. We started a space that kept changing its name. That's why I'm, I'm not going to, uh, I don't find it very important to mention the name, but it was a space where um, a lot of movement-based work uh, was being shown and uh, a space that we also used as a studio. Uh, some of us lived there. Um, so it was a... It was a space that you could use on a daily basis, go in and out, like there would always be someone there. And I think that was the first introduction uh, of an artist-run uh, space for me, or of my role in an artist-run um, space uh, in Chicago and self-organization uh, in this way. I'm glad that you, that you mentioned this fact about the name that was keep changing, because that also shows how artist initiatives and artist-run spaces are spaces that constantly transform and become while um, we are becoming with them at the same time. So there are places that are transitory and that accommodate our respective needs every time. From uh, our discussions over the past weeks, it's been very interesting to observe how many things we share within our artistic communities in Athens and in, St in Istanbul, although we operate within quite different social and political circumstances. And I'm thinking that to self-organize is always a way of creating the conditions of your own survival. And we have talked a lot about the challenges that we face and the precariousness of uh, this way of working. I keep asking myself, why do we keep doing that to ourselves? So I want to hear from you, why self-organization? It was inspiring to hear about the union forming here because there is no art union in Turkey and there has never been one. Thinking about alternatives, maybe this is a good moment to start talking about omuz. Um, the Turkish word omuz, which literally translates as shoulder in English, uh, is associated with several metaphors that carry a strong sense of togetherness. Uh, omuz vermek and omuzlamak, meaning to support and to back up. Uh, omuz omuza and omuzdaşlık, to be in solidarity. Omuzunda taşımak, uh, to show respect. Omzunda ağlamak, to cry on one's shoulder, and so on. Um, as you said, Omuz is a solidarity network initiated by a group of people working in the arts and culture who believe in the urgency of unreciprocated resource sharing and cooperation, which will only be sustainable through the support of others. Omuz is a sharing network among those working and producing in the arts, bringing together those who want to receive financial support with those who want to give support. So yes, we do work in political and so, uh, we do work in different political and social circumstances, but in some way self-organization works as a patchwork for things. Uh, in our case, it was the state which allocated no money for artists or art workers in Turkey during the uh, pandemic, and we had to figure out a way to make up for that. And of course, Omuz understands that it's not an everlasting solution and that it can bring um, an end to the problems that, uh, that we are facing and it, that it can only be a patchwork, like I said, to the lack of state support. Um, in one of the talks we organized as the Omuz Dictionary, which I'm going to talk about uh, later on, one of our guest speakers, Hajar Foggo, um, who is the founder of the Deep Poverty Network, uh, which is a solidarity and research network which endeavors to make visible unsustainable conditions imposed by deep poverty and initiate debate on poverty as a human rights violation. 
So Hajar Fogo said, it's not solidarity, it's necessity, which was so powerful and jarring to hear. Um, of course, she was talking about deep poverty in Turkey, which is very different than what we are doing with Omuz. But it is something to think about, this um, this idea of not solidarity, but necessity, that, that this idea of uh, self-organization coming from necessity instead of um, solidarity. So yeah, my question would be, when does self-organization become a necessity? Um, and to answer yours, um, yes, to self-organize is to create the conditions of your own survival. Although I I also hesitate to use the word survival um, because it can mean different things for many people. Like when Hajar Fokko talk, talks about survival, it's different than when we talk about survival in the arts. Um, I'm glad that you make this distinction, actually, because we always need to be mindful of the words that we're using. And that's something that um, you're doing with a dictionary and you will tell us about later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it comes with a responsibility towards your community, the, the, the work that you're doing and also the way you, are, um, you prefer to talk about them. Like, this is similar to the way uh, I answered um, your first question, where I don't want to talk about it through an artistic practice, because as much as they're, as they're inseparable, um, this, this is something that involves others' labors and this is a, this is a platform of exchange. Since you mentioned uh, the exchange part, I would like to go back to the School of Infinite Rehearsals, which is a multidisciplinary research group. And um, I think that's very important to recognize where each one of you came from and what each of you brought to the group. Um, and I'm thinking that collective organizing takes a lot of energy and time and that you have been actively involved with almost for over a year now and uh, practicing things on the grounds. And I'm wondering what prompted you to apply for another collective uh, endeavor like the school? Yeah, so the School of Infinite Rehearsals proposed time and money to think about self-organization um, or collective governance in Harry's terms. Um, I was curious to see different models of governance un under different regimes and how we have different responses based on the needs, circumstances and what we have access to. Um, sometimes when you are working closely on something, in my case almost, you don't see the larger issue and it becomes dull, the repetitive work that you're doing for it. So I thought this was a good moment to zoom out and share this time with people who are also engaged in self-organization in different places. In my application, I quoted Kyla Anderson, um, who asked, how do we live despite trauma, disaster, inter intentional media distraction and political paralysis, which quite inter interestingly was asked before the pandemic. Um, this was a question to have in mind during our collective research here because we arrived to Greece at a time when places started opening up again and people started to socialize again. It's a bizarre time to share so much time with a group of people, especially after spending a year and a half in isolation, repeating to ourselves to keep the distance, keep the distance um, in this way. So I think, um, yeah, um, in that way it was interesting and I do think the idea of collective research as social experiment is becoming more and more common as the culture of individualism ironically makes it more appealing to be part of a shared environment in a bracket of time. Uh, this time bracket of attention and engagement is more needed now than ever 
Firstly, due to the massive isolation caused by the pandemic, as I said, and secondly, and I'm reflecting some of Kyla's thoughts here, because of the prolonged exposure to capitalism, individualism, and social media. And as we are collectively coping with the fear of contagion, it is important to re remind ourselves the importance of proximity, uh, collectivizing and mobilizing, as well as listening and searching for novel ways of contemplation. A question I initially asked was, how do we keep proximity while distances are socially manip manipulated? And in that way, the time that we spent here in the School of Infinite Rehearsals um, was very interesting. Like, was a was a of course a social experiment between us and how we engaged with the outside. Um, and maybe it's not um, it's not so good to make such a separation between the inside and the outside of the residency as we spent most of our time out uh, in the streets of Athens. Retrospectively, I think our time at Onassis Air provided opportunities to momentarily enact different forms of economy and exchange, which is always a good practice to go back home with. I also um, remember your collective reading on care and um, that all the the relations that you managed to build, they couldn't be built without care. Like thinking and knowing together requires care. That's something that I was reading recently and um, it reflected a lot um, the way that you worked together. Mm -hmm. But what was your individual research uh, path, the one that you wanted to focus on and how did you that did you see that relating to the collective research that you did as a group? Um, so when I applied, I chose to think about compromise um, because I was reflecting on the self-organized structures trying to keep alive in Turkey during the pandemic. And many of those structures did not make it to today um, or had to give up on the idea of having a physical space, uh, including Poche, Torun and so on. Um, I was curious to look at compromise more through a critical lens than a strategy for survival, um, but I guess they become inseparable. Um, how do these structures compromise from their initial ideas, whether this is a political compromise or methods to keep funding the space? Um, and when I brought up this idea to the group here, it opened an interesting conversation because Joey used the term compromise as a method towards collective decision making. Um, which was a positive um, thing, um, to give up part of the demand in order to work towards consensus. Uh, and Paz challenged this proposal by saying that the idea of compromise came from religious teaching and used marriage as an example for compromised relationships. Uh, it was interesting where this topic led us to. Um, and when we visited spaces, we heard about the decisions, uh, the decisions made to make it past the pandemic. Uh, for instance, Kora, uh, the social kitchen in Kipseli, offering food, food support for refugees in Athens, uh, which Nuno from our group is one of the founding members, and we are going to be cooking for tomorrow. Faced, uh, Kora faced a serious challenge because a social kitchen was impossible in the times of social distancing. Uh, so they had to figure a way, figure out a way to deal with this, and they decided to prepare packaged meals during this time, um, because closing down the kitchen in a time of such emergency would make no sense. They had to adapt to the circumstances and follow a new practical strategy to continue following their mission. I find that particular moment of adaptation quite integral 
a quite integral part of this conversation around compromise. Speaking of uh, compromise, one of the most challenging and often time-consuming parts of collective work is how we make decisions together. And you brought that up uh, just now. And I'd be interested to hear how did that work for you as a group? And what were the tools that you brought from your collective work at OMUS? Or what are the tools that you are taking back with you, perhaps? Um, an incredibly part of this residency was that we actually practiced being a collective. Uh, we didn't have to, but it came as natural uh, through our practices, I think, and I find that quite intriguing. Uh, we all come from different contexts and backgrounds, and as much as we share the common language of art, we have different ways of practice and expression. Uh, we visited many self-organized structures in Athens, and the question we often asked was, how do you make decisions? Um, of course, it was a variety of spaces with different purposes, but for instance, communitism spoke of a code of ethics instead of a code of conduct, and FAC uh, offered a code of contact instead of a code of conduct, uh, which is present in their website, um, and introduced us, uh, this is still FAC, um, introduced us the circle method as a way of decision making, which was something we were practicing already in our, in our group. Um, these responses were quite interesting. Also thinking about our roles in the group. Um, Joey is a facilitator of an arts union uh, in New York City, for example, and works with larger groups and is curious to look for ways of facilitation for, for those who are underrepresented in the US society in general. And Margarita is involved in mediation quite physically and organizes self-defense and physical theater workshops in order to negotiate and to exercise power. And our methods of engagement with this topic are quite different and we practice different ways of decision making. As a group, I think we were strong listeners and not only um, heard what each other was saying, but also had a response to our bodily or facial reactions to things. Um, it slowed us down uh, a lot, like in, in terms of... Um, research, but I think it was very important uh, to practice. And for instance, at moments of silence where nobody wanted to take the floor, we followed the method um, which involved an object as a proxy for a microphone. And uh, whoever held the object uh, had the microphone, so they were the, the speaker. And we went around in the circle so everybody would have a say and uh, everybody expressed an opinion. Uh, it was beautiful because it created a continuity in thoughts. So uh, somehow the person speaking uh, right after the other uh, always responded to the one before. So it was also um, a way of listening and of course continuing um, responding to the previous person. Um, I think I'm more interested in taking back tools that are not so much the applied methodologies like the rock or the circle method, but more uh, things that happened organically. Like I said, um, this became a space for deep listening and um, reading each other um, and sometimes letting someone lead um, as part of the practice, um, which was something we exercised in Margarita's studio yesterday, um, where we were exercising, exercising um, and negotiating power through physical exercises. And this one included two hands that would touch and turn and take turns in telling stories, which would mean that uh, you would apply some pr pressure through the hand, but then the person uh, who was leading and the pressure uh, was the storyteller. So it's also about... Um, 
understanding those dynamics and letting um, letting someone lead also. Um, there were also things that did not function in our way of <laughs> decision making. Um, like I what? Mean, yeah, I mean, we did act like a collective, but we also don't work towards a collective goal, right? Like after this residency, we're all going back to our, as much as we're going to be in touch, like we're going back to our um, lives. So I think like at some, at some parts, we gave up <laughs> on the initial decisions we made. For example, um, um, someone brought up um, that whoever was absent for the decision uh, on that day uh, would just go by the decision uh, that was made by the other members uh, of the collective. Now I'm speaking like we are members of a collective. Um, but then it didn't work because only like, we are only here for a certain amount of time and we wanted to actually include everyone's opinion in things. So we like every decision we made here was a result of consensus. And this is why like we it slowed down, uh, slowed us down. But at the same time, I think it was the um, a strong part of um, the time that we spent here. Well, thank you very much for sharing. Also sharing about, uh, you know, your your peers uh, in the group and the way that you work together. And I also enjoyed a lot the exercise with a contact yesterday while practicing with Harry. <laughs> We ended up dancing in Margarita's studio. <laughs> Asle, as an artist, you are also interested in researching the notion of sleep and its segmentation and normalization from the medieval times to this day. One of the readings that you did as a group was The Politics of Sleep, which talks about the right to rest, seeing sleep as a social instead of an act of isolation, and how we have come to adopt a normative model of sleep due to the ways this is tied to the institutions that inscribe our lives. And I'm bringing this up because as a group, I would say that you managed to break this norm through a collective experiment that ended up with all of you spending the night at the Unnecessary House. And I want to know all about this night. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'll start from my research. Um, part of my research included playing with segmented sleep, um, which I tried to apply during the beginning of quarantine in my house. Um, the repetitive days were starting to bother me and I saw this as something that could perhaps play with the idea of the day and night and the way we perceive them. And segmented sleep is basically sleeping in two blocks instead of one. Um, the first block between 11 p.m. and 3 a.m. and the second block is between um, 5 or 6 a.m. till 9 a.m. Um, And this gives you that two or three hour time block in the middle of the night, which in the medieval times was a time where the entire household would be up doing chores, eating, visiting neighbors, having sex. So it was a shared time. Uh, and in my case, the household, which was my mom and my sister, um, was asleep and this became my individual pocket of time. And I spent most of this time writing or, I don't know, doing some watercolors as I knew many writers and artists use this time as a time for isolation with less stimuli and a clearer space for thought. Yet another way of inventing productive time and that's the challenge of it, no? Like because you, you, you propose this as an idea to play with this idea idea of time as a construct and then you also try to figure out ways to make that time more productive and as a group what we did in the residency like when we spent the night here um, we also um, turned it into uh, a planned night that we 
didn't follow um, one by one, um, but we, we, we kind of managed to invert the day and night, uh, play with the idea of productivity and the intended use of institutional space as well um, through sleeping, which was something Harry was very interested in. Uh, I think he wants to propose to have a bed uh, in the space. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> And um, the text that we uh, referred um, to, um, The Politics of Sleep by Julia Morandera, uh, describes sleep as a moment of active replenishing and a reparation of the perceptive capacities that have been undone during the day. It is the place where our sensibility and mundanity lay their roots. It coincides with the metabolization of the day of what has been ingested and experienced with neurological reorganization and with memory consolidation. In its monotonous repetition, day in, day out, it becomes a central function of quotidian life, enabling the possibility of learning and attention. It is a moment of suspension, of disconnection from the media and devices we operate with, a moment of inactivity and uselessness. And it is also one of the few remaining experiences where, knowingly or not, we abandon ourselves to the care of others. I'm particularly interested in the moment of suspension here. And um, my interest in sleep in, in my research is uh, currently leaning towards exploring the temporal differences between plants and humans. And this involves a closer look at nocturnal plant life and dormancy, which can again be used as metaphors for the way we perceive or use time. Well, I'm moving to the next question, um, mm -hmm. which has to do about um, a collective research trip that you did together. In your application, you stated that uh, you think about artists' residencies as fungal networks. And this relates to your trip, because when you were in Pillion, you also went mushroom picking. That was one of the highlights, as far as I mm -hmm. recall. So I wanted to ask you about the trip and your findings there. I think um, what I meant was quite a formal metaphor, uh, where I was referring to the mushrooms we observe on the surface as the fruits of an entire web under the terrain. And I do think that the time we spend here is not limited to these seven weeks, but will continue to expand over time. Uh, the foraging trip we did in Pilio was incredible because it was an exercise on seeing and attention. And mushroom foraging is a silent exercise. And it was fascinating to share the silence with a group as we walked around. Um, once you start seeing the mushrooms, you just start seeing more, you know, like they keep um, showing. And the more you know about them, the less sure you feel about identifying them. Each one has its own um, center. I don't like one. Each one is its own thing. And they stimulate uh, two senses. So it's um, sight and taste. Um, and we, when we were sure of the ones to cook, um, they also... The mushrooms also allowed us to spend time in the kitchen together to cook and taste and to talk about what it was like and the whole experience and to have fun. So, Asle, we are reaching the end of our discussion and I'm very curious to know what are your next plans and one, what you are bringing back with you. Um, so during our time here, um, as movement five uh, of the School of Infinite Rehearsals, we were invited to participate in the upcoming issue of the Arts of the Working Class, um, a journal for art and society based in Berlin. 
Um, I thought this could be a good time to bring up the timeline. Saliha Yavuz, the initiator of OMUZ, uh, started. It's a timeline that I'm studying and is called Organization and Solidarity in the Visual Arts in Turkey between 1909 and 2020. Uh, I think the I think it's a work in progress. Uh, it will include this year and it's gonna update itself um, every year. But it includes dates and color codes, which refers to important historical events, magazines, funds, associations, human rights-based initiatives, independent initiatives, and collectives. Uh, as a continuing research after this residency, we decided as a group uh, to create the skeleton of such a timeline in the Greek context and to open it up to the artistic community here to fill it up over time. Uh, I'm curious to see what it will look like and also to be able to see the parallels with the timeline from Turkey as the Ottoman residues remains in the cultural sphere of both nation states. And besides that, as the OMUS Dictionary Group, um, we will be organizing our third talk in the upcoming weeks. Um, OMUS Dictionary started as a repository of words that highlight the conditions under which the network was founded. And maybe I can read some of the, I can list some of the words that we have. They're quite broad, but they include things like recognition, proactive, urgency, union, production cost, artist fee, some terms that are very familiar to us uh, working in the art world, but maybe not as much uh, to the people that are not part of this um, community. Also, a lot of the words that are lost in translation on, or don't have much of a meaning um, in, in, in Turkish. And the dictionary group um, is interested both in support mechanisms and in bringing existing and unspoken problems in the field to light with an awareness of the precarious nature of support structures like these that run the risk of becoming a cover-up that simultaneously supports systemic exploitation, it seeks participation beyond resource exchange. Um, while a necessary step, uh, financial and other forms of support in themselves are only an interest solution, a means to end. With that in mind, the intention of Omus Dictionary is to become a tool for resistance by developing its own narrative. I think it's a very important uh, process that you've started with a dictionary. I think that we share the same kind of problematic uh, in Greece, because both Greece and Turkey are speaking two languages that are not part of the canon, let's say. So we always, we're always used to speak in English, to read uh, in English. All the academic texts are in English. And this is also a process of um, reclaiming a sort of identity or, or not necessarily protecting a certain mm -hmm. kind of identity, but actually decolonizing mm -hmm. the, the way that... Um, contemporary art is presented and distributed and mediated mm -hmm. in, in our context. Yeah, I think what we were interested in after uh, having long conversations about how what the form of this dictionary is going to look like was that like instead of providing static entries where we kind of ca like uh, encapsulate, um, bring, put an end um, to the definition uh, of the word, it functions more as a dissemination platform, assembling a web of potential definitions for each word based on various experiences. So from this web of words, we have so far picked and paired words and invited academics 
artists, activists to discuss what the terms refer to in today's conditions. So we don't really try to bring a definition to any word and then say that this is the definition that almost came up with. Instead, we invite people to talk about them. And the first talk we did was on insecurity and urgency. The second one was on urgency and solidarity because we kind of take the word from the previous talk. And the third, which is going to happen in the first week of November, is solidarity and uncertainty, which I can talk about a little bit um, more. Um, it will be held between Javidan Soykan, uh, a researcher expertizing on forced migration and refugee studies, um, alongside Tuba Inal Cekic from the Off University team in Berlin. Uh, who focuses on urban movements and urban commons from a participatory planning perspective, and Malaz Usta, a Syrian artist, graphic designer and filmmaker living in Turkey. We will be approaching forced migration through the larger umbrella of solidarity and uncertainty, zooming in on the certain uncertain conditions immigrants face, especially in the fields of art and culture. We hope to see you there. And in terms of the timeline, um, I think that it is a fantastic idea. And thank you for proposing that because the timeline allows you to make connections, mm -hmm. which is very important mm -hmm. to understand the history and how the social and political movements are also influencing art movements. Mm -hmm. And where do you stand now in relation to to the past and also the present that you are building. So I think that it would be very interesting to compile this mm -hmm. into this timeline and have it also um, mm -hmm. in juxtaposition with uh, the timeline that um, you are bringing from Turkey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course, like it... it um It comes with a self-consciousness that we are not from this place and we've only been here for seven weeks doesn't mean that we're going to even attempt to tell the story of the place. Um, but at least it's an idea that's out there. It's a skeleton that we leave back. And if, 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 the, if the artistic community here is interested in filling it in, I'm very interested in looking at the results. And hopefully this will be a research material for someone. Mm. And of course, historical events are, are kind of like mirroring each other um, during those times it will be an interesting reading to see the two timelines Asli, thank you so much for uh, sharing for joining me today and for sharing all these uh, thoughts and ideas with me it was a pleasure to talk with you thank you thank you Mirto thank you for listening if you want to listen to more conversations please subscribe to our channel You can find more about the UNASSE residency program and each participant at www.onasses.org. This series is produced by UNASSE Thanks to Nikos Kolias, the sound designer of the series, and to Nikos Liberis for providing the original music intro theme. <laughs>